Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Hello, everybody. This is a Redefined Society podcast with me, but today, uh, me, it's Marco Ciappelli on ITSP Magazine, but today I brought some uh, some help. I brought Sean. Yeah, everybody knows who Sean is, and you know, we know divided. Him. You don't know him, but well, I'll, I'll introduce Everybody him. knows me, but me. Uh, you know, that's, that's good. That's very psychological. We can have an entire conversation about... Uh, knowing each other and knowing ourselves—that's uh, it's a different story. Yes. What we're here for, and why Sean, I brought you in, because this is a, a conversation about a, a foundation called the Swarm Foundation, based in uh, in Switzerland. And uh, but but we were kind of like in a pickle. Like, is it is a cybersecurity story? Is more of a society story? And it is both, as usually happens. I lost Sean. the arm wrestle match. <laughs> you, you lost it because we also don't have a, a technical person but a lawyer so we're going to look at this from a different perspective but i think there is a lot of interesting bits and bites in how this actually uh, approach to protecting our privacy and, and and how can we do this with technology of course so that's why sean i brought you in and uh, i'm gonna need your help um but of course not just the two of us, uh, we have a guest, again, I mentioned it, uh, Fatame from uh, the, the Swarm Foundation organization that uh, is joining us all the way from uh, Switzerland. How are you? Yes, hi. Thank you for having me today. I'm very well, thanks. Very good, very good. So I would say, uh, Sean, let's, let's first understand what we're talking about here so, and with whom we're talking here. So a little introduction about yourself and maybe a couple of bits about the, the foundation and then we go from there. Yes, of course. So as you said, my name is Fatime Fanizadeh. Um, I'm a Swiss qualified lawyer working in the blockchain broader space since five years, six years now. Um, and I'm also chief legal officer of the Swarm Foundation. 
And the Swarm Foundation is the one of the few entities um, who is in charge of developing um, the Swarm network, which is a decentralized data storage and transfer layer um, using um, its own network, but as well as a token on the Ethereum chain. Nice. And let's let's go back to the beginning. I'm going to take it, Marco, because um, I don't know how many years ago I I uh, was working with a company doing blockchain stuff before blockchain was cool, and the 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 use cases for the technology are endless, and privacy is certainly one, and uh, security is another, um, which use cases for those two scenarios are endless as well. So how, how was the organization found and uh, who, who found it and why, yeah, why, why, why are we talking about the Swarm Foundation today? Why is it important? Yes, so Swarm Foundation exists now for, um, I think, since 2019. Um, the foundation itself maybe 2021. The project dates back to when Ethereum was founded. So Swarm, Swarm project itself belonged to uh, what was known back then, and maybe the newcomers in the space have forgotten about this narrative um, that came uh, in play with Ethereum at the very beginning of the world computer. Um, and Swarm was um, supposed to be one aspect of this world computer alongside the Ethereum um, chain and um, Whisper, which would have been the messaging um, component of this world computer. And over time, so Swarm was incubated by the Ethereum Foundation. And uh, over time, it did absorb uh, the messaging uh, aspects of this world computer, um, as well as the data layer that uh, it, it was and has been building. Um, and a few years back, uh, it did become independent from the Ethereum Foundation. What we call it has graduated from its incubator. And at that point onwards, um, then the team, uh, mainly the, the, the two co-founders, uh, Victor Tron and Daniel Nagy, um, as well as a team of now, I think, around only within the this one entity, around 40 people, but there are multiple other entities and individual efforts de de deployed around uh, the globe uh, on Swarm um, are now working to make uh, this project a, a reality, but also a reality that is um, using our daily, basically, usage uh, and interactions with the web. And you asked me also, why, why is this project important? So I gave you the, the historical background of, of Swarm, but also I think um, today we, so th this project is in the works for a few years. It's um, it's a massive project of, of huge ambition of basically building an infrastructure for the internet we use or the web we use that is um, drastically different from the centralized infrastructure that we've been used to uh, interacting with, knowingly or unknowingly. Um, and uh, given this ambition, it does take a long time to build something that can basically scale and give us the safety and and, um, and basically guarantees that we need when we upload any form of data online. And now it becomes a very important discussion because uh, I feel like Swarm, as long, um, amongst also the other projects in the data decentralized data layer um, space, are becoming mature enough to basically uh, be the center of the conversation right now. And people are also becoming more and more aware of the need of decentralized data um, and, and such projects. 
Yeah. So let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that need. So one, one thing that I hope people are not tired of hearing me say is that we never talked about ethics and philosophy in public space and conversation around technology like we're doing nowadays, you know, from from the artificial intelligence to the privacy. I mean, everything is related to, okay, that's all cool, but how does it apply to to our everyday life, to our business, to our society, to the way, you know, and of course, our personal data comes in. And so, you know, let's talk a little bit about privacy. I mean, that's, that's kind of like the angle that I think um, people will be interested and what all of these, let's call it, you know, blockchain, the, the, the vision of the web 3.0, I mean, how is this going to really change? And the question is, is it really going to give back privacy to the individual? Uh, I think that's the million dollar question. I mean, it's very interesting the way you, you also asked the question, is it going to give back as if it has been taken away from us and like we're in this constant battle to like get it back or get back what we deserve. Um, I feel like with like more and more technologies, whatever this technology is, like we can even think of the printing press back then, right? Like whatever um, increases the flow of information also in some way decreases privacy of that information, but then it comes with some positive aspects, some negative aspects. So this tension has always existed with technology, but now we live in a world where this technology is basically entered all of the aspects or all of the um, all of our lives. So no matter where we where we go, if we have a phone with us, like we are sure that that there is data basically communicated or leaking. Um, so this question becomes more relevant, but this is not a new question that we have to ask ourselves. So um, I like to rem remind myself of this often because um, we have, or at least I used to have this bad habit of thinking of these problematics as new problematics that we're facing. While if we put it in perspective generally of civilization and, and just advances in various forms of technologies, we then realize that these are just questions that were always dealt with in different forms. And of course, the urgency is also different and the negative aspects or possible consequences are also different in scale. Um, but yes, I feel like this technology generally and distributed disinterest technology is very, very important um, innovation for just generally society and, <laughs> and everyone involved in this society to gain back the agency and sovereignty that has been lost over time through centralization. So let's look at some of the the laws and regulations and acts and standards and things like that, that I don't know if I, if I can say this correctly, but are they answering a question without asking the question? <laughs> In other words, do we, do we have the right people looking at this and, and asking the right questions so that we have a path moving forward? I don't know if you can give us an overview of some of the, the recent changes in legislation around the world, perhaps uh, that are kind of guiding some of this so there are there are um, a lot of legislative efforts um, that that are also pretty controversial currently um, we've heard a lot about um, uh, European Union uh, trying to legislate through what's called Nika um, and 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 which would lead I think to its current form to um, a regulatory landscape that is pretty negative for DeFi um, operating within the European Union. 
um, in the US as well, uh, we've, we've, we're hearing very um, regularly, actually, like SEC, for instance, like in, enforcing or sending letters to various projects or various um, notable individuals in these projects, um, which has happened several times uh, this week. Um, there is um, a lot of attention for sure in the blockchain space right now. So um, the attention is mostly targeted towards DeFi, um, decentralized finance, uh, towards uh, tokens. So either like Coinbase because it's, it's enabling a purchase of tokens or trading of tokens, for instance, or just like DeFi protocols, which is again around tokens or just projects that do launch their own token that may be considered a security. Um, so the focus, I think, from a regulatory perspective is mainly on this. Um, the um, decentralized data space has yet to become the focus of regulators. Um, it's still, I think, uh, not uh, something that they do focus on and they have other, other fishes to catch or, or to pursue. <laughs> um, but, but the decentralized data space uh, right now is, is basically free to develop. The worry that I have as a crypto lawyer following uh, all of these um, actions very, very closely is that um, one narrative that people put forward in defense of blockchain is the transparency of it. So saying that, for instance, blockchain is transparent, so you can follow what's happening on there. It's better than, for instance, the banks that are a black box and look what's happening with, with, um, with the crisis currently, right? Um, so, so people always point to this transparency as a feature, while I feel like if we push this narrative too much, then the next wave of privacy technology that for me is going to be the, the big next thing happening uh, to the space will have a hard time being, being adopted or accepted also by all various public actors if uh, they see it as going against this narrative that was sold to them by the crypto space. So I have a quick question. It, it, every time we have this conversation, and especially in the news, I'm not a big fan of the news, even if I, you know, of course I read it. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the sensualization of things. It's always like black or white. It's one way or another. And I am a big fan of truth is always usually, usually in the middle, especially when it comes to society. So does it have to be one or the other? I mean, is it like, Everything we've done so far sucks, which is not, but you know, here here's the best way to do it. Or can we integrate this system? Is it always like this, uh, you know, regular banking, crypto, blockchain versus the way we've done things so far? What's your mm -hmm. view on that? I mean, I, I feel like it's um, th there's the ideal view, and then there is the realistic view, and and then there is the the also the the, the wanted view in some way, like. Um, I mean, I, 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 in an ideal world, maybe I would be a Bitcoin maximalist. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I would think, um, fuck the banks, we don't need them. But uh, I can point to extremely few people who live outside of the banking and traditional finance system, and their lives are not uh, enviable because it requires a lot more logistics. And I feel like all of these institutions we have currently 
Um, although a lot of them have been just clogged by bureaucracy, have lost their original intended purpose that was uh, positive, I believe, for society, um, but they are nonetheless all serving a purpose. So I feel either this purpose uh, can remain and they can keep on doing their work and we have an added tool available to all of us um, and people then can opt in and out and choose whatever fits best for them and their needs, which is generally best in my view to have more competition rather than just like one monopole or the other, right? So people who are like, we don't want any form of fiat, we don't want any form of banks, then you're just pushing everyone towards another monopole that's going to become another form of institution that's going to become itself, uh, lose its its original intent and so on. So this is kind of the, the wheel, um, I feel, of time. Um, but I, I, I think we should all basically co-live and all of these institutions can co-live and then they can serve better their purpose because they don't have to do everything. So this makes me think, I'm trying to think of how our listeners are, are absorbing this. And I think a lot of what we're saying makes sense in an abstract or at an abstract level. But I'm wondering if, if you can help us kind of visualize some things we might encounter on a daily basis uh, where there's a traditional system versus a blockchain system. What, what challenges do we have in one or the other and the benefits of one or the other and, and why this conversation is an important one given of course. That, that scenario. Of course. And I feel like generally, and you're very right, actually, these, these discussions are abstract because we yet don't have this mass adoption throughout the world in, in a uniform way. Um, but we need to be able to, to abstract also to basically get this vision and then build towards that vision, right? So if we, can, we cannot even like have any, uh, how can we have any self-fulfilling prophecy if we cannot prophesize it? Um, but there are many examples where, it, where, where it's, it's actually being used right now. So if now I go back to basics, basically, if I think of, of, of crypto such as Bitcoin, um, Monero, uh, USDT. Um, I can give examples for each of them, how they are part of uh, people's daily lives in various parts of the world. So um, I will start with the infamous example of Monero being basically, I think, the crypto with the most utility in some way, um, alongside Bitcoin and 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 then some stable coins, uh, in the in in the sense that um, it it's used on a daily basis by a lot of actors on the dark web for for just commerce. So first of all, this this is used. Then we don't enter the question of whether or not this is a legitimate use of it, but nonetheless, it is part of our societies and 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 our financial world. Um, then there is more uh, acceptable use case, um, which would I would give the example of Iran because that's a country I know well. Um, I'm originally from there; I was born there, so um, I still have contact and uh, and I follow um, the Iranian communities in crypto, and I know that. Um, so Iran, for those who don't know, is under economic sanctions and, and global sanctions for around. 40 years plus, I think, right now. So it is, it is entirely cut from the SWIFT banking system, which means that the banks within Iran don't have any relationship to banks outside of Iran. So you cannot do wire transfers, you cannot use your 
Visa, MasterCard, or any other credit cards in Iran. So you just think of it as this this very autonomous kind of and and uh, financial system. But the fact is that people in Iran do travel outside of Iran. They do sell goods outside of Iran. Um, but then they don't have a way to make this money go in or out. And they do use um, a lot of, um, so I, may, I mentioned USDT. So you, usually they would use stable coins and, and they use USDT um, and not necessarily on Ethereum because of the high um, gas prices or, or um, transaction prices, but, but on other chains. And um, it's part of their daily lives. So a lot of people know about, about crypto there. In countries where with a lot of inflation, so Iran is again an example, it is Lebanon, there is um, multiple other uh, places in the world where the local fiat currency loses value in a very, very high pace um, manner. Um, people usually turn to cryptocurrency as a, um, um, as, a, as a way to hedge against this risk, right? So even like with, we, we can see the chart of Bitcoin goes up, up and down, like for a lot of people from maybe Europe or the US or places with more financial, uh, stable financial systems, they would think, okay, like this is too much risk. For others, this looks like a pretty, <laughs> pretty low risk currency compared to the local one. So there are usages, um, just commercial usages, um, export import usages through it. There are uh, hedging uh, usages. Um, these are from the top of my head, but I'm sure there are many and multiple other ones. Yeah, no, that makes all sense, and you know, it's unbelievable how some technology. Um, I think we lost your, uh, there you are. <laughs> some technology, I think it was going with what I was talking about. Some technology have to go under the radar. So I think some technology played with me on this that make you disappear for a second. <laughs> um, but then the, there is a fact that, in, as you said at the, at the beginning of your answer, you know, you, you need to create a case study and, and more adoption. Yeah, that's the thing. That's how you turn it. So some people adopt it for obvious reason because it's the alternative way to do things. And luckily, there is that and many other technology. But give me an example maybe on, on how this more of a mass adoption could be done in terms of somebody has a business, somebody you know, has an organization and wants to start using this open uh, system that you have. Um, what do they need to do? What does it mean for someone? Do they really need to change quite a bit? Again, is this something they can run onto on a parallel street and, and go to both ways that somebody needs to do one or the other and, and how this is implemented by, you know, the, the regular everyday person or the business, uh, a concrete example of that would be great. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like a concrete example would depend really on, on, on the context we're discussing here. Um, I don't think that anyone needs to right now adopt or, or, or like crypto or blockchain technology or decentralized data technology within whatever they're traditionally doing unless they have a specific need for it. Um, I don't think that the industry is such right now that it be, has become an unavoidable kind of feature to have in any businesses. Um, and but, but 
other than this, I feel like um, I, I'm thinking like we, we see a lot of like concrete examples, like a lot of e-commerce uh, platforms may also accept crypto as payment, for instance. So we, they integrate with with payment providers that do also accept crypto. So this would be like a very concrete example of things happening basically anywhere. I think we can find businesses or we can basically find goods to buy with crypto, um, I think, anywhere. Um, so that would be a concrete example. What I think in terms of mass adoption, and, and here I'm going to go back to, to Swarm and, and basically decentralized web or, or data, I feel like there will be mass adoption for this at some point um, in such a way that when someone will use uh, or open a website, will use some form of apps um, connected to the internet without them even knowing they will um, basically, in the back end of things, the app or the web page will use decentralized data. So I feel like um, this is not a form of infrastructure that is aimed directly at the user. Obviously, if a user wants, it can integrate um, or just decide that instead of having their website hosted on a centralized hosting service like uh, AWS, for instance, that they host it on a decentralized one such as Swarm, they can already do that. Anyone can do this. Um, but then most people don't need to host their own websites or apps, even nowadays, right? They use other people's um, or other projects, apps or websites. So I feel like for this form of mass adoption, it's going to be in, in, on the back end of things and people won't necessarily even be aware of, of that. But what about from, so the, the, there is the users and there is you know, the business that decides to use it. So you offer the option, uh, me, I go to a website, I'm like, okay, I can use the, the, the usual way, uh, you know, put my credit card and pay with in that way, or I can do it using the different channel. And so how do I make that decision? What is the benefit? Because I feel like a lot of people are still like trying to digest this thing. You know, mm -hmm. we talk about blockchain and crypto and, and i i feel like and i'm one of those i don't know the detail of it i'm fascinated but unless you get technical you know so what's the translation in an everyday decision for me or anyone else to say oh there is that option i'm gonna go with that because of the benefit so what are these benefit and maybe what are the the risk on the other hand um, so the benefit from the business point of view, and then I'm going to tackle the user customer point of view. So the business point of view, um, it's access to a um, market, the market of those who hold crypto and want to spend crypto. Um, and this market is growing. And, and usually people in the, so there are, I mean, there isn't a lot of resources and wealth within crypto. So this is definitely something that is worth tapping into. And especially on the earlier side, right? Like the day that everyone, like you can buy everything on Amazon even via crypto, which is I think possible right now, but not directly. But um, you can, for instance, buy, um, buy gift cards via crypto and then spend those and so on. So it's more or less uh, possible right now. Um, but once everyone is, is using it, then, then as a business, you have no other choice than to integrate that. Right now, you can capture a bigger part of the market as, as positioning yourself, although I don't think that we are that early either. Um, so that's one aspect. The other aspect of it is just also, um, it depends if you do international commerce 
um, then you don't deal with banking fees or um, just credit card or like payment processing fees in the same way. Um, there are fees, but I think they're lower than these are so for currency exchange, Forex fees and so on. It would make more sense. So you can think of it as an international currency rather than a state currency. Um, I mean, the, the, the business then can keep its Bitcoin, for instance. It doesn't need to change it to dollars if it doesn't want to, right? And then can also spend it. Um, so I think from all of these point of view, it makes sense. Then there's the ideological point of view. So should the business want to venture into this? Um, that's very personal. Maybe they just want to approach it from an economic profit perspective, from a branding perspective, from an ideological perspective, um, or just from like a technological perspective or like of interest um, if they wanna if they wanna be. Um, they're just nerdy businesses, um, so there are there are many 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 views on this. But um, I feel like so myself, I've been integrating uh, from very early on when I started as a freelance crypto lawyer um, a few years ago, also accepting um, basically payments of my fees in crypto, and um, I, I found it interesting. Um, also to set it up, to understand how it works. Um, it does, um, I mean, it depends. So I profile myself as a crypto lawyer because I, I got into this space and I got just obsessed and fascinated by it. And, and, I, and then it turned out I didn't want to do anything else. Um, so it, it did also make sense. And I feel like right now, um, other than crypto, which is more general, a lot of people use it. And, and from the customer perspective or the business perspective, if it makes sense, it also depends where we are located. So it, what makes sense in the US is very different than what makes sense in Africa or what makes sense in Iran or what makes sense, I don't know, in China. So it's, we also have to put that into perspective. And generally, if you try to define crypto in one way or the other, uh, we're going to miss out on many of the of aspects of it. So it does make sense. It does also make sense for customers for similar reasons, um, if they have it to spend it and to be able to give it, use it, right? Um, I feel like this is has already happened, that we're past the adoption phase in some way. It's not mass adoption yet. The user experience is not optimum yet. There are many obstacles on the way. But nonetheless, I feel like we've passed the point where people doubt that this thing even exists right it's like established mm -hmm. um, and, and can yes. i ask does it matter so decentralized decentralization kind of takes some of the i don't know what the right word is but owner control away from, from an entity right but there's still there's still an entity controlling multiple uh, different entities control their own version of this decentralized oh. space Right. So I guess my question is, does it matter who or what or where this decentralized space is implemented? For example, should we care if Meta owns that space versus Google versus a nation state versus an unknown running a running a crypto uh, <laughs> I mean, do you think we should care? I'm going to I have an answer obviously for this question. I think it's the core of it all. But 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 I feel like I I'm like wondering. To, I'd like to think we shouldn't have to. But very we are but we always we already see obstacles that make us have to make decisions on do we do we even spend the time understanding how this works, setting up wallets, paying the 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 gas fees and 
to do what? What am I, what am I going to get out of it? So I then have to understand that as well. Where can I use it once I set all this stuff up? So, sure. and then, and then beyond that, it's the questions of, well, can I trust the, the entity mm -hmm. that I'm doing, doing this with? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. Marco, would you have the same <laughs> answer? I'm going around, I'm turning the, the table. Uh, you know, th this is, this is getting, uh, you know, philosophical in a way, right? I mean, it, it, there is like, you want, you want to cut out the man, right? The, the, the control and the government and to get your privacy back, but it come at a price that, again, it, it's, I don't know, if you look at the history or political science, it's like, you know, you, you know, uh, the king is dead, you know, and now you have another one. You know, is yes. it going to be better? Is it not? So I, I think it, what Sean brought up, it's a very, very, you know, deep question. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's, that's the problem. I mean, at a certain point, you have that social contract mm -hmm. that you say, well, I'm going to have to trust someone and maybe I need the legality that control it. And I think that may be the reason why not only is it a little bit difficult, I'm playing devil advocate here, but it may be a little bit still difficult for the user to, get the wallet and all the crypto system to go with it unless you have to in that case of course i mean mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but convenience security uh, there's mm -hmm. always that thing it's like you know I'm, we mm -hmm. talk about this all the time i'm not using somebody said mm -hmm. i don't want to use 2fa because i had to do an extra step imagine this unless the, <laughs> the value is really really big yeah so I, I am for that, but I think it's going to be a long transition in between. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, um, absolutely. So I mean, that's I my answer. With... Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. No, I, I love asking this question because actually you're both you're both entirely right, I think. And, and usually this is a question that divides, right? Um, it's a question some people say, code is law, we shouldn't have to trust anybody else, right? Like this, the whole point of the decentralized technology is to remove the trust aspect from decentralized entity that cannot be trusted. That's one aspect of it. And this it's true, the, the whole technology is built upon that narrative. But then the other aspect that you mentioned very well, Marco, is the tyranny of technology. Then we end up being slaves basically to this code that can be problematic from many aspects. So the first one that you also mentioned is that I, as a lawyer, for instance, with no very little coding experience, I cannot actually audit myself what I'm using. And we're talking about like simple code right now, but at some point it won't be possible for even tech savvy people, even it's already not possible to go through it all to understand whether or not they can it can be trusted. So. So there is always going to be a level of trust in something. So it's whether in, in the code or it, it, it comes with network effect because we know other people are using, so it must be good, which experience shows that it's not necessarily the case. There are still hacks, there are still bugs, there are still negative experiences happening nonetheless. Um, but I feel like it's, for me, it's very important that we have technology that, or, or we have tools as, as like society, we have tools as, as individuals to use that do not depend on a centralized individual or entity. So I wanna have this agency and sovereignty to be able to 
um, to handle my own finances, for instance, handle my own data on the web. Um, and without this to be entirely transparent to someone else that I do not trust, or even if I trust or not, that I don't want this other person to have uh, this, this view over my personal data that belongs to me and deserves to be private. Um, and I feel like we need to have this as the base, basically, so that I can, I can choose to have the privacy online the same way I can choose to go in my home and close the door and the windows and have this privacy. The thing is that we always valued privacy in our personal, in our personal physical lives. And this has like, you know, you can speak more quieter if you have, you're telling a secret, you can like, as I said, close the door, turn off the lights. Like there are things you can do in your normal life that like, if someone tells you you're never allowed to turn off the lights or you're never allowed to pull the curtain, people will be mad. <laughs> I can tell you, people will be really mad. Yeah, for but sure. We don't think of the online virtual space as the same way as the physical space, but mm -hmm. it's wrong. I feel like this is also another form of of space in which we live in. It's also another form of public space, depending on where we are in the online realm. And for that, it has to be treated at least with the same respect or with the same uh, minimum standards as in the physical space, even maybe more, because dangers are more, because you have more eyes on you in the online virtual world that you have in a, in a, in a tiny street in front of your house, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we usually don't think of this analogy and um, and I feel like that, that's why it's very important to go towards decentralization. Nonetheless, this is also why it's extremely important not just to seek decentralization, but this, to seek a form of ethic or moral decentralization. That's when uh, we have to turn back and be like, okay, is code can code be neutral? Is code devoted of any form of biases? I think that right now it's become more and more established that it's not right. It comes with code has an author and this author is an imperfect human or is an AI whose author <laughs> is an imperfect human. So at, at some point there are biases and things we have to be careful with. And I feel like in any venue where individuals gain more agency and sovereignty, they have also more responsibility to think for themselves as to what is right or wrong and as to like how to enforce this. And if I can just go back to Swarm on this point and, um, and what is called the Fair Data Society, um, which is basically a set of an organization that is um, concerned about a set of ethics or moral rules um, in order for us to have a usage of the decentralized data layer of the web that is confirmed with our morals or ethics. Not that we just build technology and let it in the wild and not care or bother about how this tool can be used. I think we as humans are also responsible to lead such lives. But maybe this is outside of the scope of <laughs> <laughs> this podcast. Or... No, it, this is exactly in the scope exactly, of yes. this podcast. I mean, I'm glad I, we don't have more time because I, I mean, know. I could totally get philosophical here just in terms of, I mean, just look at interest rates and, and who manages those and, and defines the rules for how banks can operate and how markets can work. We kind of understand that stuff, um, but now now put it on uh, put it on the chain right who who really understands that which chain and 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 so there's the if we do regulate 
who's going to understand it enough to regulate it. And if we don't regulate, we're putting that understanding onto the individual. <laughs> and how are they going to understand how to regulate themselves in that environment or environments that they choose, Marco? So. Well, welcome to political science exactly. uh, and, and all the choices of... <laughs> You know, the lesser evil and, and many of those things. But I, I have to say, we're going to wrap it because we're at 38 minutes. And I, I, I'm very, uh, you know, con I aware that people have to do other things like on this podcast and people listening, they like probably want to move wallet. on. But <laughs> go set up a wallet. But uh, I think this went exactly where I was hoping it was going to be. Um, so I, I really loved how you wrapped everything and and put the, t the the different perspectives on this so i want to thank you for that and i i hope that audience will get a better picture it's probably not clear and not clear in anybody's mind we're still building this thing i think that's that's the point and try a better way to to do things online and and all your perspective on privacy i think going from Gutenberg reference and the printing to, to today's technology is really relevant. So thank you so much. I would love to have you back to when we talk even more about ethics and, and, uh, and philosophy of technology. But for now, I'm going to say thank you to Sean. Thank you to you, Fatima. And thanks for everybody listening to this. If you have any comment and uh, you want to get in touch, with any one of us you'll find all the notes in uh, the podcast and if you're watching the video same thing underneath hit subscribe stay with us itsp magazine with the finance society podcast thank you everybody thank you marco shan was my pleasure thank you devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises the Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode of if you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.